All right. For those of you who are in person, grab a seat. We are about uh, to transition to that part of the service where we reflect on a passage of Scripture. For those of you who are online, welcome. We are a community of people who are trying to ask and answer the tough questions about what does it mean to follow Jesus so, uh, and, and what does it mean to live out a Christian life. So if you are not yet a Christian, we are glad that you are here. If you are, we are also really glad that you are here. We have been starting a series, as mentioned, on what it means to be the church, the people of God, a beautiful community. And now for our second um, series, in that series, we're going to read a passage of Scripture, and here to read it, or here recorded to read it, is Wendy. Our reading today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Well, when my wife and I first moved here to Toronto, uh, we had come from a place called Jacksonville, Florida, where we had been serving at a church there for three years. Not very long. But before I think the first year of being in Toronto was out, and definitely within our first year of that home, we had a couple visit us for a week. Not only did they come to visit us from Jacksonville, They came and took a week of their holidays to build a fence for us, the fence between us and our neighbors, and they built it free of charge. All we had to do was buy the materials. Our neighbor was stunned. Our neighbors were stunned. Who does that? What kind of relationship gets that deep in three years where it sees that kind of sacrificial service? And the answer is gospel relationships. We're continuing our series on our vision for the church to become a beautiful gospel community. We learned last week that Jesus loves people, all people, even people on the margins, even people with handicaps, people that society has brushed aside, whom the world calls less than worth it, but whom Jesus calls beloved. This week, we're taking a kind of a wide-angle look at what it means to be a beautiful community as we continue this vision for our church. Several months ago, I started reading about why people were moving out of cities during COVID. I noticed a series of articles plumbing the depths of why researchers were wondering why. They came up with two major reasons. Need for more space, and and financial reversals because of job loss. Those were the two biggest reasons as to why they moved. But researchers then began to dig deeper and ask this question, not only why do they move, but where do they move to? And what they found is that people were moving closer to deep familial and friendship relationships. People were moving home. 
to their families. COVID, according to this research, made people aware of what kind of relationships really mattered. They began to discover that they had their schedules filled with highly transactional relationships that didn't really satisfy them or really mean very much. And so what they did was they moved to those people who really helped their souls flourish. One person put it this way to me. He said, before COVID, I felt like a chauffeur for all my family's activities. We were pulled in so many different directions. Now, I feel like we've learned the importance of investing in family. In this passage we are studying, that's the point. Invest in family. Many Christians often feel vaguely guilty or inadequate, but here we see a church that has just exploded because it is just after Pentecost where 3,000 people were added to a tiny Christian community of maybe 100, 200 people. But they acted like a family, and they invested in each other like a family. And what I would like all of us to consider today is this question. Are we here in this city, in this moment, renting relationships? Or are we investing in gospel family? Because the gospel says the deepest family relationships that you and I have are the forever family relationships that the gospel gives us. This is true family. And so from this passage, I want us to consider three things. One, how to invest in gospel family. Two, what to look for as a result of investing in gospel family. What kind of results? And finally, why we should do it. How to invest, what to look for, why we should do it. How, what, why. Here we go. Firstly, how to invest from the first verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, that's a pretty simple statement. This is the church the week after the Holy Spirit came in a remarkable way, and they're doing unremarkable things. There are some remarkable things that happen here. We'll talk about that in a few moments because not all of this can we expect to happen. But these parts, Luke wrote, for the whole church, for the whole world, for all time to say, these things you do, just like they did. Firstly, we can do what they did in devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We can invest that way. In other words, we can spend regular time together reading, pondering, chewing upon, discussing, meditating, debating, figuring out the meaning of the Word of God, the Bible, the gospel. They gathered weekly. They listened to the gospel. They talked about it, how to apply it, how to live it out, what it meant. We can do that too. Secondly, they devoted themselves to fellowship. This is the regular practice of meeting together. It, it's, it's not just services, but it's outside of services, becoming friends, not just hanging out with the people you knew, but getting to know people you didn't. Now, with 3,000 new people and about 150 people bringing in 3,000, they were probably overwhelmed with new people. But they did something about it. They worked at it. They invested regularly. They started meeting. Thirdly, it says the breaking of bread and the prayers. That, in context, means prayer meetings and having the Lord's Supper together. Again, 
very regular, not so fancy things that they were doing. But here we need to stop and think because what Luke is saying is that they were seeking the Lord's presence together. They came together to feel and experience the Lord who had come to them in Jesus. They did the same things you and I do, but do we do them with the same motive? You see, there's, there's a word here. It says, awe came upon them all. They were motivated by the wonder and the power and the freeing beauty of the grace that God had given them in Jesus Christ. And they had a deep desire to connect to, to seek, to grow and commune with other people who could help them flourish in this experiencing of the grace of God in Jesus. That's why they invested. They didn't do it for duty. They didn't do it for networking. They did it not because they wanted an emotional experience. They didn't do it for them. They did it to experience Him. They invested deeply in the gospel. And God honored that investment. Now, the next few verses detail the results. And this is where we get to go. This is what it should look like in the life of a church if we do proper gospel investing. It says, awe came upon every soul. Well, every soul, that's, we can't control that. (laughs) Signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Well, the apostles were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life teachings and resurrection. They've died off. This part, we can't control. But Luke actually wrote this snapshot of the church to show us things we should aspire to. Things like a North Star we can point ourselves toward, and here they come. Ready? He says, And all the believers were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This is what it looks like when you invest in gospel family. This is what happened to them. Now, the Holy Spirit came in an unusual way to them. All came upon every soul. That's God's work. We, We can't reproduce that. God has to do it. But we can do these other things. We can give away our possessions. We can meet for fellowship from home to home. Let me summarize in one word what this community was like, what the effects were. This was a generous community, a generous community with their time, with their money, and with their emotional reserves. Generous with their time, their money, and their emotional reserves. I'll start with money because that's what the text does. It talks about them selling their possessions and giving to any who had need. The, the su- surprising thing here, the striking thing here, is these were Jewish people who'd come from the Jewish diaspora to Jerusalem. And they had come from all kinds of countries. And, but consistent with their Jewish faith, they gave their income. Here, they're giving their wealth. They're giving their retirement income. They're giving their RRSPs, their stocks, real estate. 
That's the equivalent to us. The thing is, it was freely given. This is no text that argues for government-mandated kind of socialism or anything. This is privately owned properly, freely given as an effect of the awe of Jesus and His grace coming down upon them. And we can do this. We have done this. You're sitting in a building that is the result of this kind of financial generosity. People selling real estate, people selling equities and stocks and all kinds of things, people giving away in part of inheritances to be able to allow our church to buy this building in the heart of the city. We are a financially generous community. We are a beautiful community. Luke says, keep excelling, keep going. But secondly, and I want to hone in on this one because it's most relevant to us, they were generous with their time. Here we get to perhaps the greatest currency our culture possesses, especially in global cities, the most precious commodity that we're constantly fighting to get, to keep, to use is time, free time. We plan for it. We hoard it. We treasure it. We give it away very reluctantly. We often spend money like water so we can conserve time. That is the modern dilemma. And the modern culture has nothing that compares to what we are seeing here. This kind of abandoned, self-sacrificial relationship does not exist in our culture. Our culture trains us in our jobs to use relationships for networking, career enhancement, life coaching. We're told to move from company to company, skipping from one to the other, going up the ladder, adding to our resume. We're told to rent an apartment and then buy a condo, buy a condo to leverage it, to buy a first starter home, then buy a, take the leverage from the starter home and buy a home farther out. And then, then, 10, 12 years later, start to invest in relationships. That's our culture. That's what we're trained to do. It's transactional. It's self-actualization focused. Compare this to this community we see here. 3,000 new Christians from all over the world come on a holiday, the Pentecost festival, now Christians. Sure, they probably had a little more free time than you and I normally do with the 60, 70, 80 hour weeks that we have to have for our jobs, but how did they prioritize the free time they had? They didn't do tours, they hung out together. They spent as much of it as they could investing in their new family, their forever family, their family of faith. And it was just not just services, not just formal prayer meetings, although that is right in the text. It was going into people's homes and people opening up their homes. And we need to pause for a moment here and understand what hospitality meant back then because it was, it was more vulnerable and more costly than we think of as hospitality. For us, hospitality is bringing people in that we want to get to know better and hosting them. Hospitality back then was primarily bringing in strangers on a journey and feeding them because they didn't have any food left, housing them for the night so that they were safe from predators or bandits, and then giving them a day's provision as they left the next morning. Far more costly, 
far more vulnerable. You're opening your home to strangers. That is the background for this passage. 3,000 new Christians, travelers, suddenly being put up in homes. You're, 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 you're kicking your kids to the couch, and, and the, these people are coming into the, the spare room or the kids' room, you know? You're learning about who they are. You're opening your life to them. You're giving them. You're showing them your house. It's very costly and sacrificial. Why are they doing it? Because they're trying to make strangers into family. And isn't that what the gospel does? Jesus took us who were strangers to God and died for us that he might forgive us all of our sins, that we might be part of God's family, adopted and beloved children. So when they're doing this, they're rehearsing the gospel, making strangers feel like family is the essence of gospel incarnation, and that's what they did. So now let's take a look at our lives for a moment. Let's get back to our 60 hours a week at our job, maybe more now that Zoom has made us trapped where every employer knows where we are. Many of us, even those of us who consider ourselves strong, mature Christians, can barely find time to carve out an hour or an hour and a half on a Sunday morning and another hour and a half on a midweek for maybe a a small group meeting. We live in jobs that demand extraordinary amounts of time. COVID hasn't made it any better. And now let's also admit the realities of what it takes to build a deep friendship. In a 2018 article from the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships, a study was done on how much time it takes to make friends and to make good friends. And they found that on average, there are some variations that can change this and speed this up, but this is the average. The average North American or European takes around 50 hours of time together with someone else to make that person a casual friend. It takes another 40 hours, so 90 hours total, to go from casual to a friend. And it takes up to 200 hours spent together to make a friend a real friend, a deep friend. The quality of time together, the depth of conversations can accelerate this, absolutely. But let's do the math. Men and women, if all we do is go to a small group for an hour and a half a week, 15 15 times in the fall and 15 times in the spring, 30 times 1.5, it's not even 50 hours. You have to invest the time to reap the results of the deep kind of friendships that your soul craves and that the gospel expects us to make. The way we were wired is to have deep friendships. COVID has revealed that these are the most meaningful and nourishing to us. Science has shown you have to put in the time. You have to open your homes, your condos, your apartments, your dinner slots. You have to learn to be a host to other people to make strangers into family. But this is the call of the church to invest generously into people's lives 
to put in the hours, not just in Bible studies, but in hospitality and getting to know one another. Now, at Grace Toronto, this as a church has been one of the best churches I have ever experienced for this, both in our West End congregation and in this one, downtown. All over the place, I hear stories of small groups that became like a family, that went on hikes and retreats together, that, that hung tough during COVID together. It's beautiful because you were generous with each other in your time, in your relational investment, in being vulnerable, in getting to know people, in telling them your fears and your idols. That is beautiful community. Luke would say, keep going excel still more. In these days of growing turbulence, isolation, and division, this is the time for the church to reclaim its calling as a culture of radical hospitality that turns strangers into family. Have you hosted anyone you do not know recently? Start doing it. Start this week by inviting someone new from this church into your space, whatever that space looks like. Look, when I was single, I had the cooking skills of a platypus. There was no way I could do it. So I would, you know, bring stuff in or go out and eat somewhere that was pre-COVID or go on a hike, get a group of friends together, do what it takes to invest relationally. Every fall, we usually get between 50 and 100 new people. It's a pretty dynamic congregation. The last four weeks, I've met personally over 100 new people we have never met before. But here's something I want to speak to very specifically because we're finding this to be true. There's a bit of a hesitancy at Grace Toronto to feel like and act like a host. Many of us who are Christians, and we are not all Christians, there are many skeptics here, but many of us who are Christians have come to this church from other churches. And in those other churches, we were the majority. Caucasians at our church generally come from majority Caucasian churches. Same with every other ethnographic community here. Black, Brazilian, Nigerian, Asian, Korean, Chinese. This is for many of us the first time being in a church that has different demographics and it doesn't feel like home. And so we don't act like a host. We're waiting for others to make us feel like it's home. When we did an internal study of Grace Toronto regarding racial attitudes and other perspectives, we found this to be part of what is stopping us from excelling still more. We're waiting for someone else to extend hospitality. So I need to ask all of you who have that hesitancy, what makes a church your home church? The senior pastor having your ethnographic identity? the amount of people that are like you visibly? Let us look at the passage. 3,000 new Christians from every ethnographic, Jewish people, but from every country, every language around. Quite a lot of diversity. All strangers, but beginning to be made into family immediately after they become Christians. Think of the Christians, 100, 150 of you swamped with 3,000 newcomers. Every single home was needed to host these people. And you know what? They didn't care. If you had a home, you became a host. 
If you were a Christian, you acted like a host. This group was filled with people from all over the known world. The people that were there before the 3,000 came to believe in Jesus had been Christians for how long? Pentecost is less than two months after Passover. It's 50 days, right? Brand new Christians acting like hosts. The Spirit of God says to us, I am the host of this church. Jesus died for everyone. I am the Spirit of Jesus. Everyone is welcome into my family. Therefore, that Spirit which lives in each of us should be telling us, if this is my church, I'm a host. Be proactive. Stop waiting for others to host you. If you've been here three weeks, find someone who's been here two weeks and host them. (laughs) I know it sounds crazy. But we were in Jacksonville for three years only, and they knew it. And people invested so deeply into us that they were willing to do that because they didn't care. They weren't going to rent a relationship. When I first became a Christian, I went to... um, a big church in Brampton, and I was articling, and I was new to the church, and um, I was only there a couple months, and I was just meeting the young adults in the church, and I had met another guy. He was about two weeks even more recent than me. He was newly from Germany. English was his second language. He was over on a work visa. And so we met, you know, the two newbies. We're going to try and navigate this together. I think the previous week or two, we'd been invited to meet some of these young adults at a lunch. We were looking forward to getting to know people. And as we're walking through the lobby, we noticed another young adult who we'd never seen before. We didn't hardly know them, and he looked really nervous. And he had a full suit on, which you just don't do in that church. So I said, hey. He said, hey. I said, are you new? He says, yeah. And he looked at us, and he said, I'm, I'm, I've just been investigating the Christian faith, and I've been, I've been reading this Bible. It's very interesting. And uh, I kind of looked at him, and I looked at my friend, the German friend, and I said to him, well, you know, we should talk about that sometime. And he took another step back and said, yeah, that'd be good. He was a bit nervous, you know. And uh, so I looked at Frank as an okay, We'll see you later. And looked at Frank as if we're going to go in. And my German friend goes, how about we do it over lunch? Another step back. Okay, that sounds good. The German, my friend, had only been there a few weeks. English was his second language. He wasn't waiting for people to make him feel welcome. He found someone newer than him and said, let's have lunch. Those two men were the ushers at my wedding. That's gospel community. That's what we should look for. Why should we invest like this? Because it changes the church and it changes the city. Final point, why? Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When we read this last sentence or two, we see the reason why this is so powerful. Because the Lord changed the church, and then through the church, the Lord changed the city. It says that they were hanging out daily. 
attending services together, holding private meetings, and with glad and generous hearts, they were eating their food. They loved being together. They loved telling each other what God had done for them. The gospel had become so real. God's grace in Jesus had crashed down upon them. The realization that God himself in the form of his son had actually become human, had actually died for them on a cross and risen from the dead to display the truth of his person and the beauty of his work to deliver them from sin and death had overtaken them and emotion was running through the church. This passage begins with emotion, awe, and ends with this emotion, gladness and generosity of heart. Look at what happens when the gospel feeds itself into your soul. You go, it's worth it because he is worthy. All this attending to the services, the study of the gospel, this radical hospitality, it's worth it because he is worthy. And it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The city began to be changed, not just the church. Men and women, this is why we are who we are, not for us, but for those who are not yet followers of Jesus so that they can receive the same grace that gives us awe and brings to us gladness and generosity and gratitude. Men and women, we live not for ourselves, but for Jesus. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. He died for you so we could live for him. He died for strangers, us, to make us family so that we could go to strangers and make them family. After this um, fence was almost finished, the neighbor who was getting the free fence with us uh, pulled me aside for a minute and says, Dan, how long have you known these people? And I said, "Mm, just over three years. Three years, huh? Where'd you meet them? I said, at my former church in Florida. He goes, really? I don't know much about church, but that's a pretty good church. Grace Toronto, let's be that kind of church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, and I praise you. And I ask that you would make us that kind of church. By your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to answer Q&A privately a little later, so if you have a question and you have texted it, uh, look forward to getting my response. But right now, we're going to move to a moment of reflection, Kingsley. Kingsley.